Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. He says, I can't dig ditches and I don't want to beg. And he says, here's what I'll do. So he went out and found all the customers that his boss was doing business with, his company was doing business with, and started discounting their debt. To one uh, who was doing oil business with him, he discounted the debt 50%. To another who was doing in the wheat business, he discounted it 20%. And when his boss found out, he commended him. So wait a minute, why would you commend him? Because the boss, I think, thought two things. Number one, you're finally doing something for other people to build better relationships. So at least you're smart enough to understand you can't make it on your own. So you're doing something for others to sort of pave the way for a better life. And finally, and finally, you're doing something that might ultimately be down to the benefit of the company. Because now these people are going to have been given a break and may look and say, wow, you know, that was really nice. Let me, let me continue to work with this company. So he commended the unjust steward. See, he was unjust because he had been wasting the stewardship and the money that he'd been given charge of. But in this case, Jesus says, this man did something wise. He paved the way for his future. Because he said, look, when, when I am no longer employed, Maybe they'll receive me into their houses. And I don't think that meant I can live with them. I think that meant they'll receive me into their business, their business affairs. I'll, I'll be able to work with them. I'll be able to do business with them. Amen. So Jesus used this as a spiritual lesson. And he said, um, make friends with the unrighteous mammon. Wow. What is he saying? He's saying, use money to serve God's kingdom and people. Use money to serve God's people and his kingdom. Remember, a parable is not a point-by-point -point comparison. You can't compare the unjust steward to the Christian or to Jesus, and you can't compare, I mean, in, a, in other words, in a direct comparison, he did this, you did this. It is meant to make an overall, every parable is meant to make an overall point that you can get something out of. Like people look at the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18. It's not comparing God to an unjust judge. <laughs> it is the overall point is if persistence works, even when a person is unjust, think how much more it works when you're petitioning God to just keep persisting, just keep praying. Therefore, men are always to pray and not lose heart. It's an overall point, amen? The same is true here. What this is not teaching is that you need people to get you into heaven. Some people would read that. They will usher you into everlasting heaven. Oh, I need people. I can pay people and they'll get me into heaven. It's not teaching that, believe me. You only need Jesus to get you into heaven, amen? But I'll tell you what it does teach is a corollary. Earthly relationships are temporary. Spiritual relationships in Christ are eternal. Have you, know, have you ever thought about this? We're going to know each other forever. 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 I just, uh, I'm, I'm finishing it up now, but some of you probably heard uh, Rebecca Springer's book called um, My 
vision of heaven. I think it's, I think it's called Rebecca Springer. And she basically dies or goes into this deep coma and has this long experience. And she explains everything that happens. She said, and it seemed to her, she was in a coma, I forget, days, but it felt to her like she was in heaven for years. And she describes interactions with her loved ones and she describes interactions with Jesus and describes what she sees. And, and she describes meeting people and how, yes, they look different because there is a supernatural glow that they have that they didn't have on earth, but you know who they are. And you know, you, so you run into people and they say, I had heard you were here. I'm so glad to see you. I mean, just think about that. We're going to know each other. We're going to be together in eternal glory. And what we are sowing into God's kingdom to help people come into his kingdom, to help Christians, that's eternal seed. That never goes away. So when Jesus rebuked Judas, the, that traitor, about the, the alabaster box of ointment, said, look, the poor you have with you always. Because you give somebody some food for, for uh, uh, some money for food, and nothing wrong with that. Or you give them some food, or you give them some clothing, nothing wrong with that. We should do that. But it doesn't have eternal significance if they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the things we do for each other, for the kingdom of God, these, these things are eternal in their import. Amen? And so, so we're investing in eternal habitation. You know, there's an old song that says, I've been sending up timbers every day. You know, in other words, I'm, I'm sowing into and investing for my eternal destiny. Amen. We not understand we're not buying our way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. But everything we do because we're already in eternal life and because we're already living in God's kingdom, everything we do is going into an eternal bank account. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And, you know. The relationships in this world tend to be material. You know, you do for me, I do for you, right? But the relationships in the kingdom of God are supposed to be spiritual. Amen. I love you and I'm going to do for you. And I'm not looking for you to do for so If you do something for me, fine. But that's not what I'm, I'm, I'm expressing the love of God towards you. Amen. In fact, uh, Rebecca Springer points out, um, I think I told you all this story about this one woman that was having a house built um, for her as she was preparing to come and she loved flowers. And, and I'd forgotten this part that, you know, she describes heaven as a place where people have work and they have skills and they have abilities and they are taught to do things, but everything is done in perfection and, and nobody is worked out. And, I mean, you know, worked to death. Listen, there's no uh, um, uh, burnout in heaven. OK, no burnout in the kingdom. And he said they came in with these beautiful flowers and they etched these flowers into a crystal clear marble floor. And that the flowers bloomed in the floor. In other words, they opened and closed in the floor because nothing dies. Glory to God. We, we, look, look. You're not going to be sitting around on a cloud with grapes in your hand and a harp. So forget that. Get that stupid image of the, of the world. You know? <laughs> with a robe on a cloud with a harp in your hand and grapes. I mean, 
You, the, the earth is a reflection of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. We're going to be doing things there. And the, the difference is, as I've said, you, will you sleep in heaven? Yes, but you'll sleep because you want to and to enjoy it. Not because you're dog tired and you can't help it. You just, you know, you just have to. I tell you what, I, I, I can work so, sometime and I did it the other day and I won't get into the details because I don't want to embarrass myself. But I sat down in my chair in my office thinking I got something to do in about 10 or 15 minutes. I said, yeah, I'll just sit here and relax a little bit. I tell you what, I opened my eyes and looked up and said, oh, no, it can't be. That can't be. There, there won't be any of that in heaven. Amen. Amen. And, and, and there's no, you know, she talks about there's no sense of hurriedness or time or, or I only have so much time because time is not a factor. Amen. Because everybody's living forever. And, every, and, and, and she talks about the fact, you know, the Bible says there will be no more night. And she says, there is no, there's no more night. She said, but there is a golden hue that comes over the place uh, as, as a day comes. It doesn't turn to darkness. She said, but it's a soothing golden hue. She talks about, about the, the river. The Bible talks about a river of life there. She said, as, as the angels praise and as people praise, the, the river itself begins to sing. The river itself, in other words, joins in and, and makes notes of praise to God. <laughs> what? Ooh, oh, my goodness. Well, my point is, we are going to be with each other for all of eternity. Amen? And what we sow into the kingdom of God, I think this is what Jesus is getting at. What you, what you do in the world can come to an end like this man got fired. But what you do in the kingdom of God has eternal significance. Praise God. That's why, I mean, I am, I am deeply and profoundly involved in the, in the political life of my country because I think it's important for Christians to do so. But I know that the answer is not ultimately political. The answer is spiritual. We, we need an awakening in America, amen? We, we got to engage in spiritual warfare because that's what we're up against here. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. So then that means that our first spending priority, our first stewardship priority is the kingdom of God. It is the things of God. Now, look. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, he was faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in that which is, which is least is also unjust in much. I said it's a test. You don't pass the money test. You don't pass any other test. Because no, Jesus said, this is the least. This is, the, this is 101. So you, you got to get the money issue squared away because it's really the lowest form of available power in God's kingdom. The lowest, it's, it's the most basic, most fundamental tool he gives you. And if you can't get that one right, what does he say? If you can't handle that one, how can you handle the true riches? This is just, this is just stuff that we're given to work with while we're here. Amen. So our first spending priority is the kingdom of God. Now, I know people can say, well, yeah, right. After your family. No, 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 no. Your first spending priority is the kingdom of God. Well, Bishop, wait a minute. How, how, that's my first priority is the kingdom of God. How am I going to take care of your family? No, you should be asking if you don't make the kingdom of God first, how are you going to take care of your family? Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these what things will be added unto you. 
But see, I don't think we, 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 we agree with that in theory, but I don't think we live that way. Amen? Because what we tend to do is put everything else first. I mean, I've heard people say, I couldn't tithe. I had to pay my electric bill. And you go keep facing those situations because you're giving away the source of your blessing. And now you're going to be right back there again in a month or two months or three months. And you can't do this and you can't do that. As opposed to putting God first and saying, Lord, I trust you to take care of me. And I'll tell you, Sister Jackson, I've been doing this for almost 45 years. It works. God has never failed us. Amen. God has never failed us. And we put God first in our finances. There is no question about it. If you were to look at our tax return, the biggest single expense that we have, I know you think it's got to be your mortgage. No, it's our giving. It's not our mortgage. It's our giving. But it works. We're, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not hurting. Hallelujah. Glory. I'm not thinking, oh, but Lord, if I didn't give all that, I would be able to. No, indeed. No, 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 no. God gives us plenty to do whatever we want to do. Amen. 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 I won't get to that in a second because here again, I'm not pretending I've arrived. None of us has. We've got to grow in this. Amen. 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 Now, of course, we know Matthew 631 is where Jesus says, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He said, that's what the world does. He said, you, you, you trust God. He'll take care of all of that. Amen. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your, first, with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase. The first fruits. In other words, you know, God doesn't like second place. He won't accept it. <laughs> Amen. He will not accept. That's, that's having an idol. Anything that's before God is an idol. He will not accept that. He said, with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. That's material blessing, financial blessing. He said, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Say, well, Bishop, now you're preaching prosperity now. No, the book of Proverbs is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, you know, you see that principle again and again. When you put God first, he will cause you to prosper. Because, look, money is the spiritual test. And it produces spiritual prosperity, which, guess what, produces more material prosperity because the more mature you become spiritually, the more you're going to prosper if you have put these principles in place. And the tithe, by the way, is an example of a first fruits offering. God told the children of Israel in the book of Numbers, says, when you take the tithes from the children of Israel, uh, which I have given you from them, talking to the priests, the Levites, says, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. So in other words, the priests would get their offering from the children of Israel and then they were required to make an offering from what they got. But then it says this in the 29th verse of Numbers 18, it says, of all your gifts, you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them. The best, the consecrated part. And you know, we got Christians who give what they have left. Well, Lord, as soon as I take care of all my business, I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something in the offering plate. I remember, I remember people, I, 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 this probably still happens today, but I have people say, they, you going to church? Yeah. Put a dollar in the offering plate for me. You know, like God's supposed to be really excited that they decided to take a dollar. You know, and I, and I know they just spent $17 with some Jim Crow. That's liquor for those of you here. 
And the tithe is a representation of the first and the best. Amen. It's a representation of the first of the best. Now look, and Malachi 3 talks about tithes and offerings, by the way, tithes and offerings, because, because I hear again, the tithe is the minimum. The tithe is what God says, that's mine. But then we're supposed to go beyond that. Amen. Especially those of us who are of the new covenant, we're supposed to go beyond the old covenant because the old covenant, uh, the Bible says, is, is a covenant that's passed away and the new covenant is based upon better promises. Amen. Amen. All right, let me, let me get on here. Now look, so our giving is not only meant to bless God, it's meant to bless people, right? To bless others. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Beginning at verse 11, it says, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now notice that. Our giving cause other people to be thankful to God. You know, when I do things for people that they don't expect, I tell them, thank Jesus. Because if it weren't for him, I wouldn't do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Twelfth verse says, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, and notice this, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Now that's talking about people who are not saints. It affects people who aren't Christians when they see your giving. It says, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. You know, Christian giving doesn't end at the church. It doesn't end at the church. Amen. There, there, are, there are, listen, Psalm 112, man, who's got wealth and riches will be in his house, says he has scattered abroad, he has given to the poor. We're supposed to be repositories of God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy, and we're supposed to be givers. That's what we do, amen? That's what we do. Now, look, I really believe giving was one of those works Jesus was talking about when he said, let your light so shine among men. He said, well, wait a minute, I suppose our giving was supposed to be anonymous. It is sometimes, but you can't keep everything anonymous. And when people know that you are giving, you don't brag about it and don't look at me. Look how great I am. Look at what I'm giving. No, but you let you let the, the, the act speak for itself and you give the glory to almighty God. Amen. You point them in his direction. Now, look, I'm going to be very self-revealing here. Here we go. My dad, you hear my wife say, mm. Oh, you heard. See, there you go. Not my imagination. Now, those of you who've been around me for a long time uh, have heard me say this, heard me say this. We, even we as Christians, tend to overestimate our level of spiritual maturity. And we don't really see where we are until a test comes. And that's when we find out. I mean, you know, Praise God, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm on fire for God. Why aren't the rest of you like me? Well, when you hear that, that's when, the, run the other way. Because you know that person's probably not mature at all, but they, they've, got a, they've got a messed up view of their own level of maturity. But look, so I had this happen to me recently. My, so my wife and I are givers, we, and I praise God for that. I, I really believe I have the gift of giving. I really believe that, that that's a gift that God has given me. Um, so, you know, we, we're givers, 
and, and the Lord has spoken to me, I think months ago, I think I may have shared this with you all. You know, I want you to, I want you to, to be more aggressive. I want you to increase your giving. And I said, yay, God, hallelujah. No problem, Lord, let's go. And man, we, my wife and I, we're giving this and we're giving that. Say, my wife said, I gave so-and-so. I said, yeah, I, we, I gave so-and-so, you know, and we're in agreement, we're giving. And then I, I looked at my bank account one day and I saw where my savings was. And, you know, I, I, I didn't realize I had this little magic number in my mind that I didn't want to go beyond. And, boy, I said, Lord, I hit the choke point. I said, well, maybe we better wait a little bit until, until things get replenished. Now, you know, and the thing is, I was convicted because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm a giver. Praise God. Hallelujah. I give. Amen. And then I got down to that point. I went, uh, we better slow down here. We, we better, uh, let, let's not... And it, what it made me realize was that it was easy for me to give. When, when you have plenty, it's easy to give. You don't miss it. But even, in, and look, it's not like we were about to go broke or anything like that. But I didn't realize I had in my mind a little threshold number that made me feel secure. And when I hit that number, I kind of had to take three steps back. Uh-oh. Now, Lord, I think I've probably done enough right now. But, you know, what it was teaching me was at a certain level, look, this is something you learn. You know what? When you don't have anything, you don't have to trust money because you don't have any. Let me say that again. <laughs> yeah, when you don't have any, you don't have to trust it because you don't have any. I don't ever remember struggling with trusting money when we were broke. <laughs> hey, but you know what? You get some money, and all of a sudden, that money feels good to have as kind of your backup. <laughs> to have as kind of, well, we, yeah, we, we, we're in good shape. <laughs> and when God says, well, give some more, he said, uh... Was that really you, Jesus? You, you, so, so obviously, I had to push past that threshold because I knew what God had told me. But see, here again, what is it that God is going to bless us for our and in our giving as long as we don't pass the threshold of comfort? Or God's going to say, oh, okay, yeah, that's enough because... You need that money. I don't want you to give any more right now because, uh, you know, you never know what might happen. The bank accounts in heaven might go broke. <laughs> My point is, you've got to examine yourself. You've got to know, do you have a choke point? Are you in one of those situations where you'll give as long as it's comfortable? And let me tell you something, if that's where you are. That's not faith. That's not faith. What you're doing is you're doing what makes you feel good. But you don't want to go beyond that to trust God, whether it feels good to you or not, just trust God that God has indicated to you what he wants you to do. In fact, as part of this sermon, as a personal matter, I made a list of all the things my wife and I give to. I, I put a list there because I, I, I've been thinking about it, hadn't done it, so I took the time to do that and look at the places we're giving. And of course, the number one thing we give to is the church. And the number two thing we give to is Stan. But we give to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We give to the Family Foundation. And we, I, I don't want to you know, list because I'm not bragging about myself. But I'm saying 
we, we believe in the power of giving. But that doesn't mean we've arrived. That doesn't mean we can't grow. Amen. Amen. And you may be thinking, well, Bishop, I do better than that. Great. But you haven't arrived either. Amen. You can still grow, too. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, you know, saints, I've had the privilege of meeting and talking to people, not with millions, but with billions. I'm serious. I've had the privilege of meeting and talking to people with that kind of money. And you know what? They're concerned about money. And you think, how can that be? Because you see, it's not about how much you have. It's about where your trust is. Amen. It's about where your trust is. You would think somebody with that much. And I, look, and I hear this all the time. I'm not naming any names, so it's not true for everybody. But I hear this all the time from people who I know. I know. I mean, just money coming out of their ears. Well, we've reached the threshold for this year. We've we've reached the budget for this year. There, there's nothing else left now. Really? But, you know, that's that's a matter of where their their perception of, of being concerned about lack. What, what did Jesus say? He said, if you if you when he dealt with the rich young ruler, he said, and his disciples, he said, you know, how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. His disciples said, well, look, wait, who can be saved? Which, by the way, if you're poor, you don't ask that question. And everybody said the, the apostles were poor. They no, if you're poor, you don't ask the question, well, if the rich can't enter heaven, who can be saved? They were businessmen for the most part. I mean, James and John had a thriving business with their father, thriving fishing business with their father. And so did Peter, apparently. They, these guys were successful fishermen. They, had, they, they weren't struggling to make ends meet. So they said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And he said, because they trust in their riches. See, the issue wasn't what they had. The rich young rulers, it wasn't what he had. It was that he was holding it. And Jesus said, all you got to do now is give that away and come and follow me. And say, and you'll have riches in heaven. And he thought that meant poverty. Jesus wasn't talking about him being impoverished. But that's the way he interpreted it. And he went away. The Bible said he went away sorrowing. Oh, no, no, Lord, that's beyond me. No, thank you. See you later. And, you know, I've met people. I've met people who act like when they give their tithe, it's like they hung on the cross for Jesus. I'm serious, you know, and then complain about what was done with it and I don't see why they needed all that. I mean, I'm thinking, well, what did, why did you even give it? I've said many times, if, you, if your heart is really not in giving, please keep it because it won't help me and it won't help you either. Amen? Amen. But so, so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, or no, I, let's go back to verse 19. And you all are quite familiar with this. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
And you know what? When I realized that little example I gave you all, that that money had part of my heart because I didn't like the idea of giving up so much.